Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Bonnie. Really appreciate you singing for us. Thank you, Stacy and Peggy, for leading us in worship. A welcome to Southern Hills Evangelical Free Church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dirk Jasper, so I have the joy of serving as one of the elders here and as the primary preacher here. And so if you're new with us, just want to say welcome. I would love to meet you after the service. I'll be in the back, so please say hi. would love to answer any questions you might have. Now, as we prepare to hear God's word, would you please turn in your Bibles to John 3, verses 1 through 36. If you don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles in front of you, and it's page 834 to 835 there. So please turn there. This morning, we're continuing our walk through the Gospel of John, and we come this morning to one of the, if not the most famous passages in John. Even if you've never been inside of a Christian church, maybe you've watched a sporting event and you've seen someone holding up a sign that says John 3.16. It's by far one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and the scene in which it comes, Jesus' interaction with a man named Nicodemus, is one of the most famous in John's Gospel. And it is a passage that we need to listen to and to hear, because in it we hear Jesus and John the Baptist speak. And in Jesus' teaching, we see truths that we need to know. He lays out high stakes, light, darkness, life, death. And these stakes come through belief and unbelief. And so if you're here this morning and you're believing in Christ, my hope is that you will see in these words of Jesus the truths of your salvation, and that if you're here this morning and you are not yet trusting in Christ, that you will hear Jesus' words and you will believe in him. So would you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read all verses 1 through 36. If you need to sit down as we go, that's fine. John 3, verses 1 through 36. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning, I want to focus most of our time on the first half of this chapter, John 3, 1 through 21, in which Jesus interacts with Nicodemus, a spiritual leader in his day. And what I want us to see are a few truths that we need to understand about spiritual life. And then I want to call us to those who are not here, who have not yet followed Jesus, to believe in Jesus and for those of us who do believe in him, to be encouraged by what Jesus says here. So the three truths I want us to see as we go are first, that all human beings who have ever been born need spiritual life. All of us need spiritual life. But that this spiritual life that we all need comes from God. It does not begin with us, it comes from God, and it comes through Jesus. And that therefore, Life comes to those who believe in Jesus, while those who reject Jesus find only spiritual death. So we all need spiritual life. Spiritual life comes from God. Spiritual life comes through Jesus. Believe in Jesus that you might have life. But if you reject Jesus, you will find spiritual death. 
So the first thing we need to see is that we all need spiritual life. Every human being who has ever lived needs spiritual life. We see this in the beginning of the passage, in the opening verses, where we meet this figure named Nicodemus. We're told in the opening verses that Nicodemus, verse 1, was a man of the Pharisees, that he was a ruler of the Jews, we're told, verse 1, and later in verse 7, verse 10, excuse me, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. So Nicodemus is a very impressive guy. He's got a resume that would put all of ours to shame. He's a Pharisee, which for us usually brings up negative connotations, but in that day, the Pharisees were the theologically conservative branch of Judaism. They were well-respected among the people for their uh, outward commitment to God and their knowledge of the Scriptures. And Nicodemus evidently was a top Pharisee. We're told that he is the teacher of Israel. That's how Jesus addresses him. Not a teacher of Israel, the teacher of Israel. So he seems to be the top religious scholar in all the land. So he knows his scriptures. He would have been religiously impressive. He was also politically well-connected and powerful. We're told, verse 1, that he was a ruler of the Jews, of the Israelites at that time. This likely means he served on what was called the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of religious leaders who governed not only religious matters, but also some affairs of state. And so this guy is impressive. He's got a political resume. He's got a religious resume. He was pious. He was well-respected. And he comes to Jesus at night and seems to have some form of interest in who Jesus is. He says, verse 2, Rabbi, which is a respectful term that means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So this highly respected religious teacher, the teacher of Israel, comes to Jesus and wants to learn more about what Jesus has to say. But Jesus responds to him in a surprising and what would have been for Nicodemus probably quite offensive way. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus, this respected religious leader, this politically powerful man, this guy who is the teacher of Israel, who knows the scriptures? He says to Nicodemus, you need new life from God. Verse 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus comes to him and says, Jesus, you seem to be a teacher from God. Let me know what you're teaching. And Jesus says, you need to be born again, Nicodemus. Now, this would have been shocking to Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus is a religious leader. He is well-respected. He is the teacher of Israel. If anyone would be expected to see the kingdom of God, it would be someone like Nicodemus. But Jesus here says to Nicodemus, who is well-respected, he says, Nicodemus, you and everyone else, if they are to see the kingdom of God, must be born again. You must be born from above. Now, Jesus here is making a pun. It's not obvious in English, but if you look in your Bibles where it says born again, there's probably a footnote that also says it can mean from above. 
Now, the word in Greek that Jesus uses here can have both meanings, either again or above. And all the other uses in John, it's used from above, including later in John 3. And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need new life that you don't have yet, despite your religious resume. And you need this life from above, from God. It is not something you can bring about yourself, Nicodemus. It's not something you have yet. Nicodemus, you need life. You need life anew. You need life from above, from God. Now, Nicodemus is, I think, offended by this, and we see this in his answer, verse 4. He says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, some have suggested that Nicodemus is just really stupid and just doesn't get what Jesus is saying. He's like, what is it? I can't. What what are you talking about, Jesus? How can I climb back in to my mother's womb and be born again? It just goes over his head. Now, I think if Nicodemus is this politically powerful guy, as the text says, if he's the teacher of Israel, so he is a religious expert, that you probably don't get to those positions by just being kind of slow and stupid. So I don't think Nicodemus here is just an idiot who can't understand what Jesus is saying. I think he's offended by what Jesus is saying, and so he responds with sort of a scornful, what do you mean I need to be born again? What are you even talking about? How can a grown man be reborn? How can a grown man climb back into his mother's womb? What are you talking about, Jesus? But Jesus doubles down on what he said. He reiterates, he says, Truly, truly, verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't back down. He says, no, Nicodemus, you need to be born. You need new life. And unless you have this new life, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. No matter your religious expertise, no matter your political power, the kingdom of God is only for those who are born born anew, born of God. So what does Jesus mean here when he says we must be born again, born from above? What does he mean when he says we must be born of water and the Spirit? It's clear that Jesus says that Nicodemus needs this, and if Nicodemus needs it, everyone else needs it too. Because if anyone on their own would have a religious resume that would even come close to earning their way in, it would be Nicodemus. Trust me, you and I can't hold a candle to Nicodemus, and if Nicodemus can't get in, then we can't get in on our own. If Nicodemus needs this new life, then we need it too. So what does Jesus mean when he says we must be born again, born from above? What does Jesus mean when he says we must be born of water and the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God? Well, I think he is saying that entrance into the kingdom of God requires a new birth, a new transformation, a change in us. That is part of what's meant by born again, new life, where life didn't exist. It's also present in what Jesus says in verse 5, that we must be born of water and the Spirit. Now, there have been a number of suggestions about what this means. Some have suggested that Jesus is saying we need a physical birth and a spiritual birth, and they would see water as a reference to amniotic fluid or male seed. 
Others have suggested this is a reference to baptism, that we need to be born of water in baptism and of the Spirit. But I think what is being said is that God has to bring about new life in us who are spiritually dead. And I believe that there are indications for this in the Old Testament. So as further in the passage, Nicodemus will say, how can these things be? And Jesus will say, you are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. You should get what I'm saying, Nicodemus. Jesus says, you're the religious expert. You should know what I'm talking about. And so whatever Jesus means by born of water and the Spirit, it must be something in the Old Testament that Nicodemus would have known about. After all, if he's criticized for not getting it, then it's something he should understand. And sure enough, when we turn to the Old Testament, we see this imagery of water and spirit together along with imagery of new life. In the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36-37, through 37, there was this famous promise where God was speaking to his people who had sinned against him, who had disobeyed, and who were spiritually dead, who had brought dishonor to God in the world. And God had promised that though they had died and though they could not live rightly for him, that one day... He says, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 26, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we have water, purification. We have spirit, a new spirit in them. And then after this, the very next vision that Ezekiel has in Ezekiel 37 is he's taken to this place where there's a graveyard of dead bones, just dead people as far as you can see. And God breathes out his spirit and brings these dead bones, these dry bones, to life. Brings them new life and new birth by His Spirit. So we have water and Spirit together in Ezekiel 36. Then we have new birth, new life by the Spirit for those who are dead in Ezekiel 37. And so I believe that is what Jesus is referring to here. When He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of water and the Spirit. He's saying, you are dead, Nicodemus, and you need spiritual life to purify you, to cleanse you, to make you alive, because right now you are like dead bones. And he suggests that Nicodemus should have understood this if he was the teacher of Israel who knew his Old Testament. So we see here that we need new life. All people who have ever lived are like dead men who are spiritually dead and need new birth, need new life, new life promised in the Old Testament, new life that Jesus says we need in the New Testament. But it's clear from this that this new spiritual life comes from God. Dead bones in Ezekiel 37 don't raise themselves. They are breathed life into by God. Israel in the Old Testament could not purify herself. She needed to be washed clean, to be born of water and the Spirit by God. And Jesus goes on to speak to Nicodemus about how God by His Spirit 
is the one who brings this life. And it's not really something we as human beings totally understand. It's certainly not something that begins with us. And it's not something that we control. It says verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here Jesus is making a pun on the word spirit. In Greek, the word translated spirit and the word translated wind are the same word. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit was also the same word as wind. And so Jesus is saying, you need to be born of the spirit, Nicodemus. But the spirit is like the wind, right? You can't know which way the wind goes. They didn't have meteorology back then. You don't know why it goes that way and this way, where it comes from. You can't control the wind. You can't tell the wind where to go. The wind may surprise you. So it is, Jesus says, with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Life comes from God. It comes through the Spirit. And God is the one who brings it. And God is the one who brings it where He wills and how He wills. It is not something we control. And it is something that is often surprising. In fact, one of the shockers in John is that many of the people like who we might expect would have believed in God, like those in the temple last week in John 2, rejected Jesus. And yet, as we'll see next week in John 4, people you would have never expected to come to God, like a lady on her seventh marriage who's a Samaritan who's outside of Israel, those people come to faith. And so what Jesus is saying here is that spiritual life comes from God, that he is the one who brings it about. It does not begin with us. It doesn't begin with Nicodemus. It begins with God, and God works and bring this, brings this life as he wills to whom he wills. Or to put it another way, as John 1 puts it in the prologue, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's birth language who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is God who brings life. It is God who brings life by His Spirit, and it is to Him that we must look to. And this brings a sledgehammer to any form of spiritual pride that we might have. If Nicodemus, the religious guy, the teacher of Israel, is to become part of the kingdom of God, he must be born again by God. It is not something that he produces in and of himself. It's not something he can look back and say, look at the way I handled those scriptures really well. Look at the way I taught Israel. Look at all my good deeds that got me in the kingdom. Jesus says it is God who brings the birth that you need, Nicodemus. It is God to whom all thanks must be given for salvation. It does not begin with us, and so it should be no source of pride. So spiritual life comes from God. But how does it come to us? Spiritual life comes through Jesus. See this especially in verses 9 through 21. There Jesus, he sort of criticizes Nicodemus because Nicodemus in verse 9 still doesn't get it. He says, how can these things be? And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand? He says, I'm telling you what I've seen, but you don't get it. And then in verse 14, 13 and 14, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, 
the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus, having just said that spiritual life comes from God, now says that the way that God brings this spiritual life is through Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Verse 14, he makes reference to another Old Testament passage that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. In Numbers 21, there's this scene where God's people were disobeying God, as they so often did in the Old Testament. And because of their disobedience, they had incurred judgment that they deserved. And snakes had been sent by God, and these snakes were biting them, and they were falling ill and dying. And Moses goes to God and says, Spare us, show grace to us, show mercy to us. And God says, here's what I'll have you do. I want you to make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, lift it up, and whoever looks at that serpent and trusts in me will be saved. They won't die, they'll be delivered. Jesus says here that the Son of Man, that's a title from the Old Testament that Jesus applies to himself, is like that serpent, that all people are dying in their sins, just like Israel was dying in Numbers 21. And we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And so God, just as God lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so now the Son of Man is lifted up. Just as the serpent was lifted up on a pole, so now Jesus will be lifted up on a wooden pole on the cross that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. In Numbers 21, they look to the serpent lifted up on the wooden pole. In Jesus' coming, they look to Jesus, the Son of Man, lifted up on the pole. And that whoever, though they are dying justly for their sins, looks to Jesus in faith will be saved. They will have eternal life. That is, God brings salvation and brings this new life only through Jesus lifted up on the cross and only to those who look to him in faith. And this is so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is open to anyone who would believe as God works in them by his spirit. And so Jesus says, spiritual life comes from God. Spiritual life comes through me. Spiritual life comes from God. Spiritual life comes through Jesus lifted up on the cross. And Jesus goes on to say, this is why he was sent. It was to save. It's where we get the famous words, John 3.16. Why did God send Jesus, the Word made flesh? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent Jesus with the express purpose of dying on the cross so that everyone who believes in Him and looks to Him in faith would be saved. He goes on to say, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So why did Jesus come at his first coming? To save. To save those who were dying in their sins. Just as Israel was dying in their sins in Numbers 21. That Jesus might go to the cross, offer himself, be lifted up on the cross, that all who look to him in faith might be saved. And so if you're here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, look to Him, the crucified Savior. Believe in Him that you might not die in your sins and that you might have eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you are looking to Jesus, you are trusting in Him, give thanks to God 
that He sent His one and only Son to die for you. That Jesus went to the cross to die for you. To bring you salvation. That He was lifted up for you. That you might be saved. That God loved you when you were unlovely and sinful and dying in your sin. And yet He still loved you enough to send His only Son. Believe in Jesus that you might have life if you do not yet believe in Him. And if you do believe in Him, give thanks to God. So Jesus came into the world, sent by the Father in love to save sinners. And that is good news. That is glorious news. That is news that we need to hear. But there's also a great tragedy that Jesus speaks of here. John also speaks of it at the end of this chapter. And that is, though the Father sent the Son, and though the Son came into the world to condemn the world, and though Jesus did not come with the purpose of condemning the world, many, when Jesus came, were condemned. They condemned themselves by rejecting Jesus. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, so Jesus' objective in coming was not to condemn. It was to save. It was in order that the world might be saved through Him. And so, verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus says, I didn't come with the purpose of condemning. I came with the purpose of saving. And yet the effect of my coming has been to serve as a litmus test, if you will. I am polarizing. And so when people believe in me, Jesus says, they are not condemned, they are saved. But as I, the pure and holy light, come into the world, many who love darkness show themselves to be in rebellion against God. They reject me, and so they show themselves to be condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He goes on to say, verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So when Jesus came into the world, he says, most people did not embrace me. Most people do not love the light. That was the way it was in Jesus' day. That is the way it is in our day. That is the normal response to Jesus is not repentance and faith. It is rejection and hostility. Because human beings' works are evil and because human beings love their sin. Verse 20, he makes clear this isn't some even-handed rational rejection of Jesus. This isn't someone saying, you know, I've really weighed the evidence and I've just come to the conclusion that I can't believe. No, Jesus says this is born out of sin. He says everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So he says that human beings, on the whole, most of us, are like nocturnal creatures who love the darkness and love our sin And when Jesus the light comes into the world, we scurry away from Him into the darkness because we want our sin and we don't want our evil to be exposed. Reminds me of when I lived in Chicago, the campus I went to seminary at. There were a lot of raccoons that would come out at night to steal things and and do various things. And when you would 
If you're walking and you shined a flashlight on them, guess what they'd do? Would they come to the light? No, they'd scatter into the darkness, into the forests and bushes to get away from the light. And Jesus says that is what has happened as he has come into the world. Some have believed, but most who love their sin, who love their evil works, say, I want nothing to do with that light, so I'm going to turn away from it. And that explains why when Jesus came, he ends up on a cross. That explains why when Jesus came, as John 1 puts it, he came to those who were his own, but his own did not receive him. Or as John puts it later in our chapter, chapter 3, he says this, He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, speaking of Jesus, yet no one receives his testimony. There is a great tragedy that most who hear the message of Jesus, most who see the true light of Jesus, want nothing to do with Jesus because human beings love sin and love sin more than they love God. And so John concludes this chapter, John the Baptist, by saying, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. My fear, and I think it's a justified fear based off what Scripture says, is that most people who hear this message will not believe and that there are likely some here this morning who do not yet believe in Jesus, who this is you. Uh, and that's a tragedy. It brings nothing but spiritual death. The wrath of God remains on you. And my prayer is that that would be true of none of us in this room, but I'm not naive enough to think that it's not a possibility. And so my prayer is that if you're here this morning and you are not yet trusting in Jesus, that you will believe in him and so you might have life, that you would not reject him out of the hardness and deceitfulness of sin and so remain under the wrath of God. My hope is that your story, if you're here this morning and you're not yet trusting in Jesus, will be like Nicodemus's story. See, at the end of John 3, there's no indication that Nicodemus has spiritual life. There's no indication that he's been born again by God. There's no indication he's been born from above by God. He doesn't get it, at least not at the end of this chapter. He remains in the darkness. He has not yet come into the light. And yet, the Spirit blows where the Spirit wishes. We can't control it. We don't know why it goes where it goes. But by the end of John's Gospel, we read in John 19 that after Jesus' crucifixion, after Jesus was lifted up, guess who comes and publicly demonstrates their faith in Jesus by asking for his body? It's Nicodemus. By the end of John's Gospel, Nicodemus has spiritual life. Spiritual life that comes from God. Spiritual life that has been born in him anew. He has gone from rejecting the light to embracing the light by the work of the Spirit. And my hope and my prayer is that if you're here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, that that would be your story. That you would come to believe in Jesus. That you would find life in his name. And that you would no longer be condemned. No longer be under the judgment of God. But that you would enter into the life of the kingdom of God and to the blessing of God by God's work through Christ. So my prayer is that you would be born again, that you would be born from above, 
that you would be born again today. And I would consider it a great honor to talk with you about that after the service. So may all of us this morning, my prayer is that all of us would know God through his work, through his son, that we would believe in Jesus and that we might have life rather than remaining in the darkness of spiritual sin and death. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Father, we thank you that you are the one who gives life, that you give us life through your Son lifted up on the cross. And I thank you that you have brought many in this room to that life by your Spirit. My prayer is that for those of us who know you, that we would be struck with gratitude for your great love and that those who are here this morning who are maybe on the fence about Jesus or aren't sure what they believe, that you would, by your Spirit, bring them to belief in Jesus as well. Prayer is that no one here would remain in sinful hostility to Jesus, that all would come to belief and life, new birth from above through him. Would you bring that new birth by your Spirit, through your Son, by your love, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name.